This is Space Time Series 21, Episode 31, for broadcast on the 20th of April, 2018. Coming up on Space Time, Dark Matter Keeps Its Secrets, and the truth behind NASA's twin study. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. Well, astronomers are back in the dark about what dark matter might be, after new observations have shown that it's not interacting with forces other than gravity after all. The findings, reported in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society, adds more mystery to the enigma of dark matter, an invisible substance which makes up over 80% of all the matter in the universe. Three years ago, observations by Dr Andrew Robertson from Durham University appear to have made somewhat of a breakthrough in ultimately identifying what dark matter is likely to be. Measurements by Robertson and colleagues using NASA's Hubble Space Telescope appeared to show that a galaxy in the Abel 3827 cluster, located some 1.3 billion light-years away in the constellation Indus, had become separated from the dark matter components surrounding it. Exactly such an offset had been predicted during collisions if dark matter interacts with forces other than gravity, potentially providing new clues about what it might be. The chance orientation at which the Abel 3827 cluster is seen from Earth makes it possible to conduct highly sensitive measurements of its dark matter component. However, the latest follow-on studies now say that the data shows dark matter in the Abel 3827 cluster hasn't been separated from its galaxy after all. And so the new measurements are consistent with dark matter interacting only gravitationally with normal matter. The new study's lead author, Durham University's Dr Richard Massey, admits the new findings are somewhat frustrating, but that's science. When the data improves, the conclusions can change. Meanwhile, the hunt goes on for dark matter to reveal its true nature. There's believed to be about five times more dark matter in the universe than normal or baryonic matter. So, dark matter remains an essential factor in how the universe looks today, as without the constraining effect of its extra gravity, galaxies would literally fly apart as they rotate. In this latest study, Massey and colleagues used ALMA, the Atacama Large Millimeter Submillimeter Array Telescope in Chile, in order to view the Abel 3827 cluster in higher resolution than possible with Hubble. ALMA picked up on the distorted infrared light from an unrelated background galaxy, revealing the location of the otherwise invisible dark matter that went undetected in the original Hubble study. While the new results show dark matter staying with its galaxy, the authors say that doesn't mean it doesn't interact in ways other than gravitationally. It might just be that dark matter's interaction may be very slight, or that this specific galaxy may be moving directly towards us, so you wouldn't expect to see its dark matter being displaced sideways. Several new theories for non-standard dark matter have been developed over the last few years, and many have been simulated using high-powered computers. One especially interesting possibility for the Durham University team is that dark matter interactions may be making clumps of dark matter appear more spherical. To measure the dark matter in hundreds of galaxy clusters and continue this investigation, scientists have developed a new instrument known as the Superbit Telescope, which will be launched on a high-altitude balloon. And of course, we'll let you know when the mission takes place and the results come in. You're listening to Space Time. I'm Stuart Gary. (music) 
Every second every day of the year, some 45 lightning strikes jolt Earth's atmosphere, where powerful reactions in thunderstorm clouds alter the chemical composition of the air inside and around them. Now a new suite of European Space Agency instruments aboard the International Space Station are about to begin studying these powerful discharges from orbit, in the process providing scientists with new clues about lightning's role in weather and climate. The Atmosphere-Space Interactions Monitor, or ASIM, has just been delivered to the orbiting outpost aboard the CRS-14 track and cargo ship. It'll be mounted on the external payload platform of the European Space Agency's Columbus Science Module. With no clouds to obstruct the view, the package will help scientists better understand the anatomy of lightning and thunderstorms from 400 kilometres above the planet's surface. The experiment will allow scientists to learn more about the impact of severe thunderstorms in the upper layers of the atmosphere where these electrical discharges happen. The measurements will help scientists better understand how electric fields within thunderstorm clouds can accelerate enough electrons to sufficiently high energies to generate powerful bursts of X-rays and gamma rays observable from space. Lightning affects the concentration of atmospheric gases that are important for the climate. The role of thunderstorms in Earth's climate is significant, but scientists need to get more accurate data in order to estimate their influence on the variability of climate. Chemical changes in the atmosphere are still surrounded by large uncertainties. So this new ESA package will help build better atmospheric models and climate predictions. High up in the atmosphere, these electrical discharges take many forms and only exist very briefly, for milliseconds at most. Collectively, they're known as transient luminous events and include colourful phenomena with fairy tale names like sprites, blue jets and elves. Sprites are transient vertical column-like plasma flashes high in Earth's atmosphere, often resembling glowing reddish jellyfish with tentacles streaming down. They're thought to be large-scale electrical discharges at altitudes of 50 to 100 kilometres above the ground, triggered by rare positive lightning, which originates in the anvil head of thunderstorm clouds where positive charges tend to accumulate. Positive lightning is about five times as hot and powerful as the regular lightning normally seen, which technically is known as negative lightning. Positive lightning also lasts some ten times longer, allowing it to strike many kilometres away from the storm it originated in, a feature which led to the expression a bolt out of the blue. And unlike negative lightning, which occurs either inside a storm cloud or from the base of the cloud to the ground, positive lightning travels outside the cloud, striking the ground directly. Sprites are sometimes preceded by red halo emissions, lighting up about a millisecond before the sprite, about 70 kilometres above the initiating lightning strike. Sprite halos look like 50-kilometre-wide disks and are thought to be produced by a weaker version of the same ionisation process producing the sprites. Another feature, known as blue jets, are very bright, narrow cones of plasma seen above thunderstorm clouds propagating upwards towards the stratosphere from the cloud tops, often reaching heights of 80 kilometres. They're thought to be associated with strong hail activity during thunderstorms, and their stunning colour is thought to be caused by blue and near-ultraviolet emissions of neutral and ionised molecular nitrogen. Another closely related phenomena are blue starters, which are thought to be shorter, brighter versions of blue jets, only reaching 20 kilometres in altitude. And a third type, known as gigantic jets, are, as the name suggests, thought to be bigger versions of blue jets. The other type of feature are elves, flattened reddish concentric rings that often appear as dim expanding 400 kilometre wide glows, lasting just a millisecond. They've been seen at altitudes of 100 kilometres above thunderstorms and are thought to be generated by the excitation of nitrogen molecules due to collisions between electrons energised by lightning from the underlying thunderstorm. 
As well as lightning, ASIM will also detect bursts of gamma rays from thunderstorms, which are accompanied by both energetic electrons and their antimatter counterparts, positrons. The 314kg ASIM payload includes a modular X and gamma ray instrument comprising two pairs of terrestrial gamma ray flash detectors, a low energy detector sensitive from 15 to 400 kiloelectron volts, and a high energy detector covering from 200 kiloelectron volts up to 40 megaelectron volts. ASIM is also equipped with an optical imaging system capable of observing 12 frames per second continuously in multiple bands. I'm Stuart Gary. You're listening to Space Time. In what may be the perfect example of what happens when news editors get journalists who usually chase fire engines or politicians to instead cover a science story, media outlets have been kept busy issuing corrections after reporters wrongly claimed that 7% of the DNA in an astronaut had changed following a year-long spaceflight that is compared to his identical twin who remained on Earth. Now, if that was true, it would have meant the astronaut was no longer human. Remember, people and chimps share 98% of their DNA. What actually happened was that the gene expression was altered, not the DNA itself. And that's a huge difference. Gene expression simply refers to the way genes are being used, how an organism is reacting to its environment. Now, for people, that often happens when they're under stress, such as when they're mountain climbing or scuba diving, or as in this case, spending a year in space. There were no third eyelids, no additional limbs, the astronaut did not suddenly mutate into a Klingon. In fact, there were no changes to the man's DNA at all. It was just the gene expression which was altered. Humans contain some 20,000 genes in their 23 chromosomes of DNA. These genes are in every cell. But of course, cells can be very different from one another. That's because neurons do a very different job than, say, bone cells. And cells in your muscles wouldn't do a good job if they were in your liver. Therefore, there are complex chemical pathways and feedback loops which cause different genes to turn on or off in different cells. And this is what's known as expression. All these different genes code for different proteins, and depending on which genes are turned on, different structures are formed and different chemical reactions take place. But unless you're a specialist science writer, you wouldn't really be expected to know that. And, well, really, that's the point. So, what was the real story? Well, NASA astronauts Mark and Scott Kelly are identical twins. This gave NASA a unique opportunity to compare how the human body changes during long-duration spaceflight, such as can be expected during a multi-year mission to Mars. By sending Scott Kelly on a year-long mission to the International Space Station and keeping his twin brother Mark on the ground as a sort of control, scientists wound up with a fairly cool nature and nurture experiment. It's well known that muscles atrophy and bones become weaker and more brittle when they experience prolonged periods in microgravity. But astronauts also commonly report things like diminished eyesight, which sadly doesn't return to normal once they're back in a 1G environment. It's also harder to sleep, and there are changes to the human biome and immune system as well. People in orbit also feel they have a constant head cold, because fluids tend to prefer to migrate towards the head. Now, a lot of this stuff isn't news. NASA already knew what happens to the human body after a standard-duration six-month mission aboard the space station. But Scott Kelly's one-year mission gave scientists a significant stepping stone towards a three-year Mars mission. Scientists found Scott experienced a 7% change in gene expression due to his time in orbit. And that change had still not returned to pre-flight levels after six months back on the ground. 
By measuring large numbers of metabolites, cytokines and proteins, researchers learned that space flights associated with oxygen deprivation stress, increased inflammation and dramatic nutrient shifts that affect gene expression. After returning to Earth, Scott started the process of readapting to 1G environments. Most of the biological changes he experienced in space quickly returned to his pre-flight status. Some changes returned to baseline within hours or days of landing, while a few persisted for up to six months. Interestingly, Scott's telomeres, they're the end caps of chromosomes that shortens one ages, actually became significantly longer while he was in space. However, the majority of those telomeres shortened again within two days of Scott's return to Earth. Researchers found that 93% of Scott's genes also returned to normal after landing. However, that remaining 7% points to possible longer-term changes in gene expression related to his immune system, DNA repair, burn formation networks, and both oxygen and carbon dioxide levels in the bloodstream. Overall, increasing mission duration from the typical six-month ISS mission to a full year in space resulted in no significant decreases in Scott's cognitive performance while in flight and relative to his twin brother Mark on the ground. However, a more pronounced decrease in speed and accuracy was reported post-flight, possibly due to re-exposure and adjustment to Earth's gravity, as well as the busy schedule that enveloped Scott after his mission. Jonathan Nally is the editor of Australian Sky and Telescope magazine. It uh, made headlines all around the world. And this is all about uh, NASA has, has two astronauts, they're, they're twin brothers, uh, Scott and Mark Kelly, pilots of the space shuttle. And uh, Scott Kelly was going to the space station to stay there for a year. And he was the one that suggested to NASA, hey, this would be a perfect opportunity to do one of those twin studies to see uh, how things change. You can, you can test me before I go up, test me when I get back, and because I'm an identical twin, you can compare me with my brother and see if anything changes. That's what they did. And all of a sudden, this story broke that he's come back to Earth and 7% of his DNA has changed, which proves that, you know, you go into space and things things Become a jellyfish. And, and you, <laughs> you come back, you come back, you know, some sort of mutant monster or whatever. Uh, and this went all around the world, picked up by lots and lots of, you know, uh, renowned um, news organisations, and it was just wrong. It was a misunderstanding. Uh, the, the scientists hadn't said that 7% of his DNA has changed. Uh, they'd said that um, uh, a certain percentage of the expressions of his genes, how, how the genes work, um, what, they, what they do, um, had changed. Um, but that can be the case whether you go into space or whether you go down the submarine or you live in the desert or you live in the mountains. It's your environment and, and where you are and what you're doing that makes part, you know, some of your genes do different things, express themselves in different ways. So that's what had happened, not unexpected at all. So it's not um, the Simpsons three-eyed fish scenario quite yet. Uh, unless, uh, Stuart, unless they're covering it up. Uh, it could be a perfectly cromulent answer. <laughs> Maybe they put out a fake news story to throw us off the scent that there really is a news story there. That's Jonathan Nally, editor of Australian Sky and Telescope magazine. And this is Space Time. I'm Stuart Gary. Moscow has launched what may be a new experimental spy satellite. The top-secret flight was launched on a Soyuz 21V rocket from the Plesetsk Cosmodrome in northern Russia. Russian space forces would only describe the payload, named Cosmos 2525, as a small experimental satellite known by its acronym MCA. The spacecraft, suspected of being based on the 350 kg Zvezda MKA-5 remote sensing reconnaissance satellite. 
These are part of a Russian Ministry of Defence black program. We do know the satellite was launched to the north on a polar sun-synchronous orbit consistent with that used by high-resolution optical imaging spy satellites. Furthermore, the tracking indicates both the satellite and the rocket's upper stage were both placed into an unusually low-altitude 317-kilometre-high orbit. Combined, these factors point to the likelihood that EMCA is a new generation of classified military spy satellite with resolutions down to just half a metre. The flight was the fourth mission for the Soyuz 21V rocket, developed as a small payload launch vehicle to replace the existing ROCOT launcher. And the Russians aren't the only ones launching top-secret spy satellites. China's just launched another trio of what it euphemistically calls remote sensing satellites. Beijing says the probes will conduct electromagnetic environmental surveys and undertake a series of orbital tests. However, Western analysts believe the Yogang Weijing 3101 spacecraft are part of China's latest generation of military surveillance and reconnaissance satellites. The Yogang satellites are operated in low Earth orbit and include a mixture of high-resolution optical imaging, synthetic aperture radar and electronics intelligence gathering spacecraft. The spacecraft's primary duty will be to find and track foreign warships as part of a naval ocean surveillance program, monitoring their movements and collecting their optical and electronic signatures. The satellites were launched aboard a Long March 4C rocket from the Jacquang Satellite Launch Centre in Mongolia's Gobi Desert. The 44-metre-tall Long March 4C is capable of lifting payloads up to 4,200 kilograms into low-Earth orbit, giving you an idea of what the likely payload launch mass was. The spacecraft were then deployed into a 1,100-kilometre-high orbit, flying in a triangular formation. The mission also carried an experimental microsatellite into orbit. No details on what that was about either. The flight was the 271st launch of a Long March series rocket and China's 11th launch this year. In fact, 2018 is going to be a busy year for Beijing, with at least 40 launches planned. Meanwhile, China has also successfully launched two more Badu navigation satellites into orbit. The mission aboard a Long March 3B rocket lifted off from the Zhaichang Satellite Launch Center in southwest China's Sichuan province. The Badu constellation is expected to be completed in 2020, with 35 satellites giving China a global satellite navigation system independent of the Russian GLONASS, European Galileo and American GPS systems. The two new spacecraft represent the 30th and 31st members of the Badu satellite family. Badu actually consists of two separate satellite constellations. The first Badu system, officially called the Badu Satellite Navigation Experimental System and also known as Badu-1, consists of three satellites, which since the year 2000 have been offering limited coverage and navigational services. They were formally decommissioned in 2012. The second generation of the system, officially called the Badu Navigation Satellite System or BDS and also known as Compass or Badu-2, became operational with 10 satellites at the end of 2011. And in 2015, China began developing its third generation of Badu navigational satellites, known as Badu-3. You're listening to Space Time. I'm Stuart Gary. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. 
A new study has found that up to one in five people may show signs of a synesthesia-like phenomena in which they hear silent flushes or movement and see colours and sounds. While the effects barely known to science, the researchers found that this visually invoked auditory response is far more common than other types of synesthesia. The survival of this association may also explain other links between sound and vision, such as why we like to listen to music synchronised with flashing lights and dance. The effect reported in the journal Cortex also provides a good way to learn about what's happening in the brain in people with synesthesia. While other typical synesthesias are estimated to have an overall prevalence of just 4.4%, the visually invoked auditory response effect has gained prominence in social media following the rise of noisy GIFs. Or is that GIFs? Especially the thudding pylon. You know, the one where this high-voltage electricity pylon is playing skip rope with two other pylons. The other big one I like is the elephant bouncing on the trampoline. I'm sure you've seen that one as well. And it appears one in five of you have also heard it. The sensations may reflect leakage of information from visual parts of the brain into areas that are more usually devoted to hearing. In more extreme forms of this crosstalk, any abstract visual motion or flashing could be sufficient to trigger the sensation of hearing sounds. A new study has revealed that Arctic mountain glaciers are now melting at an unprecedented rate. Glaciers in Alaska's Denali National Park are now melting faster than at any other time in the last 400 years, all because of climate change. Ice core samples taken from the summit of Alaska's Mount Hunter show that summers there now are at least 1.2 to 2 degrees Celsius warmer than what summers were during the 18th, 19th and early 20th centuries. The findings, reported in the journal Geophysical Research Atmospheres, concludes that the warming at Mount Hunter is about double the amount of warming that's occurred during the same period during summer areas at sea level in Alaska. In fact, the warmer temperatures are melting 60 times more snow at Mount Hunter today than the amount of snow that melted during the summer before the start of the industrial period some 150 years ago. The warming correlates with hotter temperatures in the tropical Pacific Ocean. Previous research has shown that the tropical Pacific has warmed over the past century due to increased greenhouse gas emissions directly caused by man's increased use of fossil fuels. Understanding how mountain glaciers are responding to climate change is important because they provide fresh water to many heavily populated areas of the globe and directly contribute to the rise in sea levels. A new study has found that the two types of contagious cancer affecting Tasmanian devils may have similar origins. The research, reported in the journal Cancer Cell, suggests that devils may be at greater risk for these kinds of diseases, which are exceptionally rare, because of their frequent face biting and because of their low population numbers due to human interference, such as hunting. Interestingly, researchers have also identified a series of drugs which have been effective against similar cancers and which may provide a glimmer of hope for saving the devils from extinction. A rare 700-year-old Byzantine bronze ring engraved with a portrait of St Nicholas has been discovered by a gardener digging on his farm in northern Israel. Of course, St Nick was the 4th century Orthodox Christian saint who inspired the iconography of Santa Claus, although the beverage company Coca-Cola gave Santa his red, white and black colours somewhat more recently. Archaeologists with the Israeli Antiquities Authority say the 700-year-old ring is extremely well-preserved, featuring the head of a bald man holding a staff in the shape of a bishop's crook. In the Eastern Christian world, St. Nick's considered the patron saint of travellers, including pilgrims and sailors. And so Christian pilgrims coming to the land of Israel from all over the Byzantine Empire would carry his icon to protect them from harm. The ring was discovered in the eastern Jezreel Valley near Tel Megiddo. One of the biggest problems facing the use of autonomous or self-driving vehicles is the so-called trolley problem. 
This is the ethics dilemma about actively killing one or a small number of people in order to save the lives of a larger group of people. The problem can occur in situations involving autonomous vehicles when the car realises that there's no way to prevent a collision, forcing the vehicle's computer to determine which collision would harm the least number of people. A new report in the Journal of Open Transportation proposes undertaking a series of crash tests to develop a new database for programming into autonomous vehicle computers, allowing them to analyse which type of accidents would do the least harm. The system would use special data structures and bouncing volumes to allow the computer to determine the best action to take. You're listening to Space Time. I'm Stuart Gary, and that's the show for now. You can subscribe and download Spacetime as a free twice-weekly podcast through Apple Podcast iTunes, Stitcher, Bytes.com, Pocket Casts, SoundCloud, YouTube, Audioboom, from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com, or from your favourite podcast download provider. Spacetime's also broadcast coast-to-coast across the United States on Science360 Radio by the National Science Foundation in Washington, D.C., and available around the world on TuneIn Radio. If you want more Spacetime, check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as loads of images, news stories, videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word and in lowercase, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us on Twitter through at Stuart Gary, at Spacetime with Stuart Gary on Instagram, and on Facebook, just go to www.facebook.com slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 